Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. So uh, today I want to talk to you about a a New Testament concept. Uh, In the world, they talk about volunteering, but in the kingdom of God, we talk about serving. Actually, about being a servant. Not just serving, but being a servant. Anyway, a philosopher by the name of Hugh Moorhead once wrote 250 well-known philosophers, scientists, writers, and intellectuals around the country. And he asked them one simple question. He said, in your opinion, what is the meaning or the purpose of life? Uh, Some offered their best guess. Most simply admitted they didn't have any idea. And quite a few asked and said, well, if you discover the purpose of life, please let us know what it is. Well, what's true about all those intellectuals is true about most people. They do not understand what is the purpose of life. What's the meaning of life? What's its purpose? And and the main reason that people do not understand the purpose of life is because they start with themselves. Here I am. What's my purpose? But they don't go back to the creator because when you were created, you were created with a purpose. And you can't start with yourself and find the purpose to life. It's really interesting how many intellectuals just tell you, just find something and make it important. Make that thing important. Make that your purpose, whatever it is. Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation 4 and verse 11, it said, for by pleasure, God's pleasure, they were created. So you were created with for what? For God's pleasure. You were created to have a relationship with God. In Colossians 1 and 16, it says everything got its start in him, in Jesus, and finds its purpose in him. So you cannot find your real purpose apart from God because you were created by him and you find your purpose in him. Some of the religious people of Jesus' day came to him and they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And and, and literally, you can say it like this. What is the purpose of life? What's the meaning of that? What's its purpose? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he said, and the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The the purpose of life is to love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love others. Second Timothy Paul is writing to to Pastor Timothy. He's going through a very, very tough time as uh, persecution has broken out against the church. And he said, it is he, Jesus, who saves us and shows us for his holy work. He saved us and he chose us for what? His holy work. You see, God didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. And so often all we're thinking about is he saved me 
from my sin. But, and he did do that, but he saved you to his holy work. Ephesians 2.10 says this, he planned that we should spend these lives of ours helping others. Oh my. We're living in a society that is just all self-focused, right? But he said, we're to spend our lives helping others. We love God and then we love others. Romans 12, one says it like this. Now you belong to him that you might be useful in his service. Oh my, I thought it was just about me. I thought it was just about God taking care of me. It's like me and Jesus and maybe a half a dozen butler angels to get the stuff I need. See, and, and we've just got this, this consumer mentality when it comes to church and the kingdom of God. What have you got for me? What have you got for me? Right? And that's where we're looking. But the Bible says you belong to him that you might be useful to him. So I want to ask you, uh, are you a consumer simply in the kingdom of God or are you a contributor? In the church, are you just a consumer or are you a contributor? Uh, what God put inside you, the gifts that God has given you, that is God's gift to you. We can say who you are is God's gift to you. But what you do with what God has given you is your gift to God. How many would like to give a gift to God? Now, now Jesus said this, listen, he said, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. Now, he didn't say complainers or consumers. He said laborers. I don't know about you, but every day I pray and I ask God for something. How many about you, you in your prayers, you're asking God for something? All right, good. All right. How, think about this. How would you like to be because you want God to answer our prayers. How would you like to be the answer to God's prayer? Because Jesus said, pray that God would send forth labor. How about being a laborer? Hello? And being an answer to Jesus' prayer. That's a different concept because we're always wanting God to answer our prayers. But literally, by deciding to be a servant, in the kingdom of God, we can answer a prayer that Jesus prayed. Ephesians 2.10, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking the paths he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us. Now, most of the time, we think the good life is doing what we want just taking care of me. But the Bible says that God has prepared good works for you to do. And he's prepared paths ahead of time. Right? And when we're in God's plan, that's when we're living the good life. That is when we live the good life. Not when we're doing the things that we so often think are the good life. In fact, Proverbs 11, verse 28. A life devoted to things is a dead life a stump. Now, maybe you saw, I remember several years ago, I saw a bumper sticker on a car and it said, 
he who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody else see that bumper sticker? Wave, wave at me if you saw it. It was a popular bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. Now, the Bible says he who dies with the most toys is dead. <laughs> they did, not only are they dead when they die, they're dead before they die. It says it is a dead life. It's a stump. But a God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. Our culture tells us things are where the purpose of life is. But God says, if you're chasing things, you're already dead while you're alive. He said, the purpose of life is to love God and let that love flow through you and love people and love people. And we're talking all people, red, yellow, black, white, and polka dotted people. All, how many of you know God loves everybody? And if we're going to serve God, we need to love everybody. But so often we're not prioritizing the kingdom. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So often we prioritize other things. And in Matthew 24, Jesus gives what the theologians refer to as the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' talk about the end times. And how many of you would agree with me? We are living in the, the end times. So Jesus said, because of iniquity, and it's talking about what's going on in the world. How many of you realize our culture is going crazy? Crazy, right? He said, because it will abound, this craziness that's going on, the love of many will wax cold will wax cold. Now, that, that term there, wax cold, it, it's, it's really referring to how a candle is made. That tells you how you get cold towards God. Right? Now, what they would do to make a candle in the medieval times, or even ancient times, is they would heat some wax, and they would take a string, and they would put it in the wax and pull it out. And some of the wax would adhere to the string. And then they would put it back in, right? And now more wax would adhere to the wax that was already adhering to the string. And then they would put it back in. And as a process, they just kept on doing that. And eventually, they end up with a functioning candle. So what Jesus is telling us, that we are living in a dangerous society, a dangerous times, right? And our culture, if we just get dipped in our culture, we get a little bit of that wax around us and our heart gets a little cold towards the things of God, right? But what culture will do is try to dip us back in again and we get more of that wax, a cold heart towards God. And we get dipped it again and again and again. Uh, when, when I was preparing this, I thought about Lot. Now, Lot is a, a godly man who's Abraham's nephew. He ends up in this beautiful valley, but at the other end of the valley, is the city of Sodom, wicked city. And the Bible says that he went pitching his tent towards Sodom. In other words, to begin with, he said, I don't want my family anywhere near that place. But he'd go down there to buy vegetables. And, and he says, you know, it's a long walk. So he got a little closer. Then he got a little closer. And he got used to it. And he got a little closer. And he got used to it. And he got a little closer. And he got a little colder towards God. And he got a little closer. And then finally, where did we find him? He's living in Sodom, sitting in the gate. And listen, 
It cost him his wife. It cost him his family. It cost him literally everything that he had. He lost everything. But it wasn't something that happened in a day. It's something that happened over a period of time. Right? Uh, when it talks about Moses making the right choice, it says this in Hebrews eleven twenty six: esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. Right? Now, he's being brought up in Pharaoh's house. Literally everything that the most powerful kingdom on earth had to offer was at his fingertips. He could have the finest chariot in town. He could live in the biggest house. Anything that could be offered, it was his. But he said, you know what? I would rather suffer reproach with God's people because he looked to his reward. Now, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 22. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. The Message Bible says it like this. It says, yes, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon and bring my payroll with me. See, so often we are only looking at this life. But the Bible tells us we need to look beyond this life. Right? And you need to know your purpose. When you don't know your purpose, right, you'll, you'll, you'll end up going back to the things that you know. You'll go, go back into the world. When, when, when Jesus arose from the dead, he appears to his disciples. Peter has denounced the Lord, but Jesus appeared to him. He knew Jesus was alive, but this is what he said. He said, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, well, we're going to go fishing with you. Now, why did he go fishing? Because that's what he knew. That's where he was before. And he didn't have any vision, any purpose for what God had for him. He didn't know what did God have for him. So he went back to his old life. He went back to what he knew. And the truth is when we don't understand that God has a calling and God has a purpose on our life, he has good works, the Bible says, prepared for you. And I want to ask you, are you doing them? Or are you just self-focused? Because when we don't know our purpose that God has for us, we tend to just go with the culture. We go back to the things that this world has us comfortable with. Right? So Moses, he was willing to walk away from all of it. One of the things that we seldom hear about today in church, but we should hear a lot more about, is Judgment Day. You know? I think it's time for a good hell sermon one of these days. I think if I was Pope, the Protestant Pope, I, I would make everybody preach on hell like at least once a year. Just to remind us. But okay, but listen, listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 20. This is Judgment Day, and there really is a Judgment Day. Right? Then I saw the great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. Now, by the way, you're going to love this. Theologians call this, you know what they call Judgment Day? The great white throne judgment. You say, why? Because he sits on a great white throne. Man, you're great. You got it. Here we go. He says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to the works by the things that were written in the books. Verse 15, now anyone not found written in the book, the book of life, Jesus 
the Lamb's book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. You're going to be there someday. I'm going to be there. But you listen, you're going to be asked two questions. I do not know the exact wording of those questions, but I do know what they are. Right? Question number one you will be asked is this. What did you do with Jesus? Did you just know about him or did you give him your life? Did you make him the Lord of your life? Did you live for him? That will be question number one. What did you do with Jesus? Question number two, and you will, this question, you will have that question. I will have this question. What did you do for Jesus? Not what did you do with Jesus, but what did you do for Jesus? What did you do for the kingdom of God? For some Christians, unfortunately, it's going to be, well, I was a consumer. That's all I did. This judgment is talked about again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And by the way, it tells us there will be people who will go to heaven, but they will have zero reward when they get to heaven. Because they did the right thing with Jesus, they received him, but they did nothing for Jesus. Heaven is not a government housing project. Right. Listen, listen, I'm going to say this. The kingdom of God is all skate. Right. And it's full contact. How many of you ever been around people? You'll know. You're going, there's full contact. Right. It's everybody is to be involved in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a consumer sport. It's not a spectator sport. All right. Everybody is to be involved in the kingdom of God. I, I was texting Rick Renner uh, this, this week, back and forth. Uh, Rick, as most of you know, is in, in Russia. Uh, he's been working for at least 10 years, probably longer, on an expanded translation of the New Testament. And, and I have right here uh, his translation of 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. I want you to listen to this really carefully. Every single one of you, without exception, has received a grace, given gift from God. Embrace what God has placed inside you. Take ownership of it and do your best to use that special gift to meet the needs of one another. God has entrusted a lot to you by placing those special gifts in your life. And he's depending on you to be faithful with this great responsibility. God has given how many of us a special gift? Every single one of us. He's entrusted it to us. And he's counting on us to faithfully use that in the kingdom of God. Uh, in Mark's gospel, Jesus' disciples are discussing who's the greatest, who's the greatest. And Jesus gets them aside. And I think this is really interesting. Jesus does not rebuke them for wanting to be great but he tells them how to be great, right? And it's the exact opposite because they think to be great means to be served by a lot of people. But Jesus said, whoever wants to be great must become the servant, must become the servant of all. So Jesus said, you're not great because people serve you. He says, you're great when you serve people. You see, Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to 
serve. And the Bible tells us, have the same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to serve. He came to give his life. I love what Paul said to Timothy. He said, kindle afresh that gift of God, which is in you. You know, some of us, that grace is there, but we haven't been doing anything with it. All right. And we need to kindle that, that grace again. We need to get it moving. We need to begin to use it in the kingdom of God. Now, King David is running from kings. Well, King David is not king yet. He's just David. Right? And he's hiding from King Saul. He's living out in a cave. And the Bible says that men are coming to him and joining him. And it says everybody who's discontent, everybody who's in debt, everybody who's in trouble is coming to David. Now, how many of you know that's not like the cream of the crop? Everybody who's got problems comes to David, right? But here's what happens. Because there's this iron sharpens iron, right? These men begin to change as they get around David, right? Uh, You realize the spirit of faith, it's more caught than it is taught. I'm going to say that again. The spirit of faith is more caught than it is taught. Right? And these men begin to change. So these men become mighty men. And it mentions one of the, the top three. It says, after this other guy was Shammah, right? He's the son of Egri the, the Hararite. It says, the Philistines gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Now, look at me. Jeannie, my, my, my wife, is from Washington State in what they call the Pluse country. Right? And they're just huge farms, thousands and thousands of acres, these farms are. And they're just, they, they plant wheat, they plant beans, and they plant lentils. Right? So all my married life, 46 years, I've been eating lentils. Now, I just want to tell you something. Lentils are not great. <laughs> They're like lentils again. You know, it's like, okay. But because she was brought up there and brought up eating lentils, I mean, we eat some lentils and and they're just not great. They're they're like this little bean, but like they're they're really, they're only like a half a bean. All right, because they're not even round. They're, They're just, they're just, they're just not great. All right. So, so the Philistines come. And, 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 and Shammah, he's, he's in the field of lentils. It's, it's, it's like a half an acre of lentils. So the people, they flee. They see them come and they think, I'm not giving my life for no lentils. All right? But he stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it. And he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Now, what he did... That was so, what made him great was he took a responsibility that other people didn't think was great. And he said, this is my responsibility and I'm going to stick with it. Now, listen, when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, this is what we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and what? Faithful servant. In, in the world, we tend to think, well, this person has a lot of responsibility No, in the kingdom of God, it's faithfulness. Now, this guy is a private in the morning. But after the battle, he's a general. 
Why? Because he was faithful with little. And Jesus taught us, if you're faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. But if you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. He didn't have like a great responsibility, but he said, look, nobody's getting these lent- these beans. I'm defending these beans. Somebody said, well, the beans, it's not much. But you know what? If you let the devil have your beans, he'll want your salad and then he'll want the whole enchilada. I'm just telling you, he will take the whole thing. Huh? We just need to be faithful where we are. And I think it's so interesting that his promotion comes not because people thought he had great responsibility, but because he took a small responsibility and he was faithful with that responsibility. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. Now, I I know what is, I I really believe that what I'm going to tell you right now is the greatest problem that the church has faced for over 1,500 years. I want you to listen to this. Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, when, when I look at myself, I, I think my, 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 my strongest gifts are teaching and pastoring. Right? Jesus put them in the church. Now, listen, to equip his people for the work of service. Other translation says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, here's what most people think. They think you're the pastor. You ought to do everything. You ought to to pray for everybody. You ought to visit everybody. You ought to cast out every demon. You ought to counsel every person. You ought to do every funeral. You ought to do that. You ought to do that. No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. The Bible says my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. And when we think... Somebody said, well, pastor, what are we paying you for anyway? To equip you to do the work of the ministry, right? The biggest problem in the church is we think there's just a few people that are supposed to do everything, right? But the truth is that is is a lie. And it has crippled the church. It has crippled the kingdom of God because we've just looked to a few people. When God says, I've given every one of you a special grace or gift. And we need to use it in serving the kingdom of God. Right? So, so let's not fall into that trap. You know, uh, some people think, well, you know, so-and-so, they're just a volunteer. There should be no such thing as just a volunteer. Right? Number one, volunteer is a secular term. The term in the, in the kingdom of God, the term in the Bible is a servant. It's a servant. Right? And Jesus said, how do we become great? By being a, a servant. All right. There is no such thing as, well, they're just. No, 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 no. We are serving the king. Whether we're in the parking lot, whether we're in a choir, whether we're changing diapers in the nursery, we are serving the king. And we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Again, so church is not a spectator sport. All right. Everybody is to be involved. Every single one of us. Somebody said, I just don't feel like, like I have anything to contribute. I'm just not qualified. First of all, I want you to know that grace is there. 
It's there inside you, right? But the Bible says this, Hebrews 13, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in or for every good work. Do you know, no matter how you feel, the blood of Jesus qualifies you and the blood of Jesus enables you. When we begin to do something, we get supernatural enablement from the spirit of God. Now, I want to tell you how I got in ministry. Uh, I just wanted to be a help. So there was a missionary in Mexico who needed help. So Jeannie and I moved to Mexico to help the missionary. You say, what did you do? Well, I opened the doors of the church. I cleaned the bathrooms. I swept the floor. I set up the, church, the, the chairs. I cut the grass. I weeded. That's what, that's what I did. All right. And the one thing I knew I would never do ever, never, 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 ever do was speak publicly. But you know what? God gets you where he wants you to be. And very seldom, very seldom is it a straight line. God had Joseph to be a deliverer, but he ends up being sold as a slave lied about, thrown into a dungeon, working in the dungeon for a while. But you know what? God got him exactly where he wanted him to be. See, if you will get on the bike and start moving in the kingdom of God, God will get you where you need to be. And you will find that God has placed inside you things you did not know were there. Now, I want to close with a little story. I don't know if it was 1989, 1990. All right. Uh, we were over on 44th Street. Some of you don't know this. We had two buildings. Uh, one was our sanctuary and nursery and a few offices. And then you had to walk outside, go like 100 yards to another building where we had our children's facilities. Right? It was uh, December, January, February. I'm not even sure, but I remember this. We had a terrible ice storm that day. Right? We're having church. And in the main sanctuary, we had four sets of pews. No balcony, not near as deep as it is here. But I remember that morning off to my right, maybe six, seven rows back, there was this guy who was kind of making a bit of a, a disturbance during the worship. He was moving all around. He looked like he was throwing, throwing a baseball or something during, during the service. And, and I didn't think much of it because, you know, sometimes, uh, how do I say this, particularly in a, in a charismatic type of church, um, People can be like granola Christians. You say, what is that? Well, granola is made up of fruits, nuts, and flakes. And, and sometimes, you know, somebody just a little, little strange. But then I get up and start speaking. And when I am speaking, he's still doing the same stuff. He's going like this and he's like throwing stuff. All right. And not only is he doing that while I'm speaking, but he's talking the whole time out loud. Right? And I mean really loud, so loud that I have got to talk really fast the whole time during the service, because if I'm quiet for even a minute, people start listening to him. And I don't want them to listen to him. I want to hear the sermon. And when it came to time for the invitation, I'm giving the altar call. And I'm giving the altar call like this. I'm giving it really fast because this guy's talking all the time and he's making strange stuff like this. And he's throwing stuff. And then, and so I'm talking really fast, giving the invitation. I say, you need Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. I'm going to pray with you right now to receive Jesus. And I'm thinking during while I'm talking, I'm thinking, why doesn't somebody go over there and stop this guy? Why don't one of the ushers stop this guy? Why don't one of the elders stop this guy? Why doesn't somebody do something right now? I need somebody to do something because this guy is disturbing the service and I've got to talk really fast and I don't know what to do because I've got to talk fast because he's just disrupting this whole service and if I'm quiet for even a second, everybody's listening to him. Do you get the picture? Well, what we find out afterwards is he's a Satanist, okay? And he's trying to cast spells and he's throwing spells at me. 
And somebody said, well, you worried? Not at all. All right. The Bible says there is no divination against Israel. I mean, you're, you're, you're cut under the blood. Nothing's going to affect you. He can, he can curse all he wants. I don't care. Just don't interrupt my service. Right? So the service is done. Right? Here come the ushers. Listen, this is what they said. Pastor, did you see that guy? And I'm thinking, did I see that guy? Hokey smokes. Of course I saw that guy. And they said, we wondered if we should have done something like maybe. <laughs> Serious, okay? And this is what I said. I said, when in doubt, do it. Just when in doubt, do it. All right? Because leadership is taking ownership, right? Okay? So, so they barely leave. And here come three of the elders. They said, Pastor, same, they said the exact same thing. Did you notice? And I'm like, yes. And one of them said, I thought about getting up and going over there and just taking him out of the service. And I said, I wish you had. Why didn't you? He said, well, I wasn't sure. So I said, when in doubt, do it. All right. Ice storm that day. All right. So our, our custodian did a great job on the main building, throwing salt all over everywhere. But on the, the second building where the children's service was, uh, they just put out a bucket and didn't throw the salt. Now, literally, hundreds of people walked by that bucket. And anybody could have picked up that bucket and thrown some salt. Nobody did. In between services, one of the workers, Lisa, is walking out, slips, breaks her leg. It gets worse than that. Then it gets infected. And they, they're, they're talking. They might need to take her leg. Uh, God was gracious. She's fine. She's here on Sunday mornings usually. All right. But you know what? It wasn't a big deal. Anybody could have done it. But what a difference when nobody did what anybody could have done. You know? I told you the way I got into ministry was I just wanted to help, all right? But this is what I found out. If you start someplace, God will get you where he wants you to be. And so often the gifts that God has inside us are so much bigger than we ever thought they were. And we didn't even realize they were there, all right? It's kind of like riding a bike, you get on that bike and you get it moving, it's easy to steer. But when it's standing still, you can't steer it. And you say, I don't know what I should do. I'm going to tell you what I tell young men going into the ministry. I said, it really doesn't matter what you do for the first five years because you're just getting trained anyhow. You just find a spot. You get plugged in, and God will get you where he wants you to be. Those gifts that are inside you, that God has placed those graces, will come up, all right? And those graces will cause doors to open that you cannot even imagine. So my question to you today is first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the second question first. What are you doing for Jesus? Because God's put something inside of the Bible says every one of us that we're supposed to use to serve in the kingdom of God. 
Every one of us. So what are you doing for Jesus? That's the first question. In a minute, I'll get to the, well, that's the second question that we're asking first. Now, somebody said, well, what what should I do? Well, if if you're not doing something, I want to encourage you to get online and fill out a team application at reslife.org slash slash serve or right out in the foyer uh, at Next Steps. We've got people out there today that are there to answer your questions. And listen, we need help everywhere. Ushering, prison ministry, kids ministry, youth, nursery, everywhere. I tell you, this was a while back. Uh, I don't know what the exact percentages are now. But at one point, we had over 80% of our children back, but only a third of the workers. Because for so many people, it's been easy to stay home and watch online. I'm so glad for everybody that watches online. I'm glad for you. But you need to find a place to serve in the kingdom of God. And if you're here, I'm glad you're here no matter what your capacity is or not. But I want to encourage you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Right? There is a grace that's on you. And you're supposed to use that grace to love God and to love his people. To love God and to love his people. So, so find a place where you can plug in and you cannot just be a consumer. Right? But you can be a part of of ministering in the kingdom of God. Remember what Ephesians 4.11 says, that you can do the work of the ministry. Do the work of the ministry. Somebody says it's hard. How many know sometimes work is? It can be hard, right? But I'm telling you, the rewards, they're out of this world. Literally. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly in my reward. One translation says, my paycheck for every person is with me. He's got a paycheck for you. But it's not just did you receive Jesus. It's what did you do for Jesus in the kingdom of God? All right, bow your heads. The first question that we're asking secondly, that you, every person is going to face on judgment day, is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus. Jesus made this statement. He said, you must be born again. You say, what does that mean? That means that you need God to come down on the inside of you and make you new. It literally means that you need to give Jesus all of your heart and all of your life. Turn away from your old life and say, God, I'm turning my back on living for myself. And from this day forward, I am going to live for Jesus. I'm going to give my life to the one who gave his life for me and rose again. I'm going to live for him. Now, if you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God, and you say, I need to get right with God today, we're going to pray a prayer. And when we pray that prayer and say amen, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, you are going to be born again. You are going to give Jesus your heart and you're going to give him your life. And we're all going to pray this prayer together. Now, if you can, would you please take hands with somebody, whether you're here or whether you're online, take their hand. And we're going to pray this prayer out loud. 
but from your heart, make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He is victor over death, sin, and the devil. And he is my soon coming king. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.